but then, you know what? And in the ring with Dan and Benny, hey, brother, man, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best. I'm telling you, brother, in the ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah. We love you. Thank Woo. you so much, Dan. Oh, yeah. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spashan. I'm joined, as always, by the original Long Island Iced B, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Well, you know, Dan, unfortunately, it's been another sad week in the world of professional wrestling. We lost Billy Graham last Wednesday at the age of 79. But then last night, uh, we also got news of the death of um, Peggy Fowler, uh, a.k.a. Peggy Lee Leather. And she passed away at the age of 64. Um, Peggy wrestled in the WWF, WCW, AWA, and she was actually um, Wendy Richter's tag team partner in the WWF in the mid-80s. Uh, I was reading something that our good friend Sal Corrente said about her, that she was a far better person than a wrestler, and she was a great wrestler. And I heard from one of our previous guests, uh, Desiree Peterson, last night, and uh, she was absolutely heartbroken. Actually, she's the one that I that I learned about it. And, you know, at, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, you know, we're losing so many of these people. And, and one thing that we can never say enough, at least in my opinion, is the uh, is the sacrifice that these guys made to entertain us. Um, you know, jamming four or five people in a car, traveling hundreds of miles between shows, eating at a truck stop or a diner, wrestling while sick or injured, and then missing family events like, you know, birthdays, anniversaries, Christmases, things like that. You know, moving 17 times in 10 years like uh, – like Kurt Von Hess's family did, and and not really making a whole lot of money in the process. So I, I want to say that anybody that's listening, if you chat with an old school wrestler, please say thank you for everything that they did for us. Absolutely. And like you said, I mean, we lost one of the greats. We had posted uh, on the page about a week ago. The, uh, the thoughts were with him when, when his family said things were looking dark. And unfortunately, uh, to, to steal a line from Indiana Jones, we're at the point in our life where life has stopped giving us things and started taking them away. But okay. uh, we wanted to get into that, and this will be a kind of a memorial and memory show for, for Superstar. But, Benny, why don't you tell everybody who we got with us tonight for, uh, to yeah, talk about Superstar? Superstar Billy Graham, the reflection of perfection, the number one selection, the man of the hour, the man with the power, too sweet to be sour, the lady's pet, the man's regret, what you see is what you get, what you don't see is even better yet. Well, I got through that whole thing. So we actually have two phenomenal guests. The first one is uh, Mr. Will DeCoff, who is a retired professional wrestler and also has enjoyed a, a second career as an actor and producer. He's a member of the New England Wrestling Hall, Hall of Fame. And then um, our second guest is a, a very good friend of this show, um, Nikita Brezhnikov. Nikita's been on the show several times, and he is the author of the phenomenal book, which is a must. For any fan, a serious fan of professional wrestling, when it was real, highly recommended. I'm going to say it one more time. If you don't have that book in your on your wrestling bookshelf, you don't your bookshelf is incomplete. So, uh, gentlemen, welcome to Dan and Benny in the Ring. Thank you. Thank you. Glad yeah, you know, to be here again. Absolutely glad to have you guys. I was just about to say uh, we kind of put unfortunately had to put this together on short notice given the nature of what happened. We thank you for your time and for being here. 
Uh, appreciate you doing this, and hopefully uh, we don't don't strike too many uh, too many chords. I know sometimes these shows are a little rough to get through. Sure, we'll be doing. Sure, we'll do okay. It's well, the least you know, we can do for what Superstar gave. He did. Absolutely, well said. I'm usually quick to give credit where credit is due, and one of the things that that I do like to point out is, is despite Benny, how critical you and I are the, of are of the current WWE product. Going back as far as I can remember, they have always had phenomenal video editing crews. Their hype packages, their video packages are top notch. Um, I didn't know about posting links with the whole legal issue, but they posted a uh, a tribute video. It's about two minutes long to Superstar. It is phenomenal. They they do drop that line from Triple H at the Hall of Fame induction where he called Superstar the first sports entertainer, which always struck me the wrong way. But I get why they, they kind of put that in there. It was part of the narrative, but it is top-notch stuff. And uh, I, I recommend everybody go check it out because they it doesn't do justice to what some of the uh, hypes that are out there now. But, um, gentlemen, this is for both of you. I want to throw this out, uh, kind of get started. Where did you first see Billy Graham, and what was your first impression? Uh, Will, we'll start with you. Okay, uh, the first time I became aware of Billy was actually through the old Muscle Build a Power Weeder magazine, as I'm sure Benny remembers. That was uh, a precursor of muscle and fitness, right? It used to be called Muscle yeah, Builder. Muscle Power, Mr. America magazine. And there was a picture of Billy, and they said he was a professional wrestler. And uh, my brothers and I got all the magazines, and we knew, you know, every territory, even when we were little. And um, I didn't know who he was. Then not long afterwards, there was a picture of him in the, um, in the uh, wrestling review with Dr. Jerry Graham in California. And uh, those were the first times that I was aware of him and then of course when he made the um his appearances in the the uh movie the wrestler with his uh famous match with wahoo mcdaniel in the strap match and that was um those were my first times that i actually became aware of billy is it will is that the Vern Gagne movie the wrestler yes that came out in 74 yeah and actually it's funny because there was a uh there was a part of the movie where they were shooting a scene, and Billy had just come in from wrestling Wahoo, and he was legitimately angry because, as you all you guys know, Wahoo was very, very stiff. And just Billy, a bit. when Billy threw a punch, it wouldn't crack an egg because he was so smooth. And um, <laughs> evidently, uh, uh, Billy went the hard way, which he didn't anticipate, and he came in and was screaming at the doctor, saying, "Look at me! I'm going to need stitches." And he walked in while they were filming a scene, and it made the movie. So it's just it's watch, watching the movie just to see that could see Billy legitimately angry. Gita, what about you? First, what was your? I first saw him when he hit the Northeast, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, in the fall of 1975, and they must have known right from the beginning that they had something because they allowed him to pin Bruno up in Boston in a tag team match. On October the 25th, and that's set up for the next month, a single match with Bruno. But you didn't pin Bruno. We all know this. It just did not happen. So it's okay. like they wanted to get him over. Bruno liked him a lot he, because he respected the power. And anytime those two got in the ring, you had the classic power versus power match. So it was easy. It was smooth. Nice and it worked beautifully. So he had a good run. Basically, let's call it 76 as we're really when it took off. But he didn't stay that long. He was going by the spring. Then when he returns back 
for the next series he's going to do. I guess Bruno, look, the broken neck was starting to get to him. It was too frigging much. He's already superhuman to have done what he done, but it's like he can't keep it up. It's starting to wear. So I'm not positive if Bruno was in on the decision as to who was going to take the belt, but they all decided Billy Graham, superstar, and it was a great idea because it was going to be somebody that was going to run for a while. In his case, it was 10 months. So you needed somebody that's going to be able to fill the void. But having Bruno chase the guy that stole the belt from him, in my opinion, had more heat than Bruno being champion. It was really great. And then we got to see the chief and Ivan Putski in, in Baltimore, Bobo Brazil, and other people that were never, ever going to get a title match. It was never going to be face versus face. So it was great. And as I wrote in, thank you for the mention of when it was real, it was my favorite time of the 70s when Superstar was champion. Everything was perfect. It was just great. Right. Agree. Quick quick follow-up. When um, when Billy made his first appearance in the tag team match, uh, it was him and Arion against um, Bruno and Danucci. And what happened was Bruno had um, Arion down for a pin. And uh, Billy hit him with a knee drop off the ropes and pinned Bruno. And that was, you didn't, as Nikita was saying, nobody pinned Bruno. And it got Billy over like wildfire. And it set up about six months of programs because there was a couple tag team matches and then a um, bunch of matches with Koloff that, because Koloff was involved in all that as well. Um, it was a tremendous run here in Boston. And that was right after he came into the te- back into the territory or came into the territory? It would, no, it was his first time in Boston, and it was actually one of his first appearances in a major arena in the WWF. Right. It right into a main event with Bruno. So Vince, Vince, Vince Sr. Had, had to realize, I mean, he, he had somebody special right off the bat. Oh, yeah, and he and then he had that bloodbath with um when he actually won the belt with, with uh, Jay Strongbow, and they should have seen right there because, as Nikita, as all you guys know, the Chief was really, really over. Oh, yeah. Billy... Billy had half the house rooting for him, even against Strongbow. That and was bloody. But then the next match, the steel cage match, the Chief was pretty bloody. Because yeah. they had to help him from the ring. You know, I'm lucky, Will. I became friends with Rocky Raymond. You know him, right? Yes, I do. I know Rocky. I Back in the 90s, he and I were communicating, trading program. I was able to get a lot of his 8mm. He sold me. Mm-hmm. They recently was going to try to revamp it with the high def but they needed like four hundred dollars a person so you weren't going to get that from people i was dying because there's a lot of things i didn't get that i wanted i was going to shell out the 400 but they didn't get enough to be able to do it so but i'm lucky i have a great library and that match i do have that tag match and it's it's really great so boy i'd rather watch that eight millimeter with the goofy music in the background and his commentary than the bullshit that's on television today (laughs) that's right (laughs) Nikita, was, um, was that finished the way that I remembered it without the need? Yes, problem? you got it. You got it, Will. Perfect. <laughs> Benny. <laughs> quick, quick follow up. Nikita, you said something that, that I, I want to kind of have you expand on for a brief moment. You, you mentioned how Billy Graham had the title for 10 months. He's often grouped in with your Iron Sheiks and other transitional champions that history almost remembers that he, that he had the title for what seemed like a few days. Why do you suppose that, that his title reign, I'm not, I don't mean this as a criticism as a compliment of just how entertaining he was that everything he did blurs together so well that it's often lost that he was champion for so long. 
All right. Was well, your question why he kept it that long or why he's lost in the history? Yeah, why, why history kind of glosses over that that his his title reign was was almost a year. He gets grouped in with people like the Sheik, where where some people, if you ask them about it, they'll tell you Billy Graham was only champion for a few weeks or a month, and he was champion for almost a year. I'm wondering what about his title reign kind of just slips through the cracks there, despite how entertaining and memorable he was. Because most so-called historians are full of shit. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. Let's put it that way. Because, look, that was great. You you have to realize people from that, like the three of us, I don't know. I'm not sure of your age, Dan. I don't think you were watching the 70s, though, right? No. Okay. No. Well, we realized that was it. That was the best it was ever going to be. The 60s was good, but... The matches could be a little bit long, holds could be longer, but the 70s, it was rogue yet refined. It was perfect, even everything, baseball, football, boxing. So we realized superstar Billy Graham to have a 10-month run, that meant something. But there was a reason for it. There always is. The bean counters know what the hell they're doing. Otherwise, they wouldn't be driving the big cars. They're making the money. They know how to run the box office. But today, nobody's remembered well. I mean. When you take a look at these lists of all-time greats and Bruno's not on it, it's like, get the hell away from you. You're an idiot, then. That's bullshit. So this, right, this, <laughs> this question is for, uh, for Nikita. So um, before he came to the WWF, so I, I did a little bit of research. He wrestled, I think he started in Calgary uh, for Stu Hart, but he wrestled in uh, San Francisco, Hawaii, Texas, and then uh, AWA, and then finally in Florida. And he did pick up a bunch of belts. I think he won the the Florida Heavyweight Championship and the uh, the Southern Heavyweight Championship when he was in Florida. I think he won a brass knuckles title when he was in Texas. Maybe a, maybe a, a title in San Francisco. But what? And I'm gonna try. I'm gonna give you what I think my answer is. But and just have you tell me if I'm you know on on track or not. But I, my my question is going to be why wasn't he in contention for the major titles like the NWA, you know, like a Harley Race. Or I guess back then it might have been uh, still Briscoe or Funk, um, Terry Funk, or the AWA, which would have been Bachwinkle. Why wasn't he more of a serious? And my 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 answer my my answer is going to be that, that he didn't fit the mold at that because you know the the the, the NWA they wanted that that scientific wrestler like a Briscoe or a, or a race or a, a Dory Jr. And then in the AWA, kind of the same thing. Vern wanted a wrestler. So am I am I on track there? And that's for Nikita. Well, sure. Well, look, close shop. Okay, a lot of these guys weren't going to budge. The only reason old man McMahon, Phil Zacco, Willie Gilsenberg decided because Bruno got hurt. Otherwise, Bruno probably would have continued for until Junior took over. Then that would have been it with the cartoon era. But. It, it was usually closed shop. You weren't going to drag. It was either going to be race, funk, you know, one of that group, Briscoe. Those were their main players. So they were going to be the belts changing around there. AWA was Bachwinkle. Maybe Ray Stevens would have got something in there. But, you know, it was basically they liked who they liked, and that was it. You can get a little bite, but you're not going to get the whole piece of the pie. That's it. So, yeah, I, they blew it. Because Billy Graham obviously proved with the Northeast run, he could fill the house. And it wasn't just that faces were getting title matches. 
like well described, you know, he bled like a like a gunshot wound for the chief and their first run on uh, <clears throat> August 22nd of 77. So he would put it out. Hutsky, the same thing in Baltimore. Bobo Brazil, who ran Baltimore, basically, because when Pedro was champion and he just wasn't drawing, they brought Bobo in and boom, that was it. Bobo got the only shot at Billy Graham. And let's look at this. Billy Graham took the belt to Florida, St. Louis, Kansas City as WWF champion. He was one of the first to do that, not just go to Toronto for the Tony shows. He was going to other territories with the belt in Florida. And it was like, man, this is amazing. And I, I'm going to have to say that helped put them on the major, major league map for all time. So I have a quick follow up because I, I, I watched another uh Billy Graham tribute uh, uh, podcast and what they said was that they thought that Billy Graham didn't translate well in the other territories. I would say that Billy Graham was on top wherever he went. He was a main eventer. He translated everywhere. It was just, you know, like we said that, you know, no matter how good he was, he was not going to be the NWA champion. He was not going to be the AWA champion, but it didn't mean that he wasn't going to be in the, in the main event wherever he went. Just didn't fit their mold. And their, meaning the the old timers that were running things, didn't mean they were always right. But they had control, so that's it. Well, Will, this uh, next one's for you. We had Ken Patera on our guest for the 100th episode special we did. Uh, he mentioned that both Bruno and Vince Sr. told him they wanted Bruno to drop the belt to him. But uh, Graham was eventually chosen in large part because of the close relationship, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, between Eddie Graham and Vince Sr. Uh, going off of what Nikita was talking about with the title, do you think uh, Patera would have had the same impact as Billy Graham? Or did he do what was needed, perfect storm, exactly what was needed, who was needed and when? Patera would have had a uh, impact, but it would have just been a different impact than Billy. And also going back going to back. what you first said. Uh, Bruno and Walter Kowalski both told me that the terror was in the running for the belt. So that that is definitely true. What what uh, what Kenny told you uh, to me, Patera definitely could have been the WWF World champion, but he would have been different. Kenny, in my eyes, anyways, was 100 percent heel. And while superstar Billy, he could wrestle a baby face and be over. He could wrestle a heel and be over. It'd be like um, he certainly didn't work like Harley Race. But he kind of had that thing going for him. He could work with anybody and could pop the crowd. Um, I think Patera would have had a great run as a WWF champion. Um, there was a there's a tremendous amount of baby faces all across the business that could have come in and had a good run against Kenny. I think he would have done fantastic. But Billy was a different kind of a champion. And I think that um, in the long run, I think I would rather build the territory around superstar Billy Graham than, uh, than Kenny, with no disrespect to Ken Patera was Patera had just finished a long run with Bruno all over the territory. So it's like, how the hell are you going to have him win the belt now? It, it, to them, they're the, they're the way they would think. The bean counters, McMahon, Sr., Gilsenberg, Zacco, and Arnold Skoll and, and Monsoon, they all had a big take in what was going on. It's like, well, he, Patera has already been beaten by Bruno. You know, he was trying to get the belt from him. It started in January, March, April, and then it just kept in all over the territory they were running. So it's like, okay, 
He's finished. He's on his way out. That's why Superstar didn't enter the Battle Royal that night. He was gone for a while, so it's like, we can bring him in. He's fresh. We mm. will repackage him, and boom, because they think people have short memories, that fans don't remember what the hell we saw three or four months ago, but we did because we were crazy. Fanatics <laughs> is what the word fan comes from. So crazy bastards like me knew all that shit, and it's like, hey, what the hell are you trying to pull here? See, like, well, when Billy White Wolf got the with broken neck, you know, he's wrestling in Baltimore like a week later because it wasn't on TV for another two or three weeks. No internet. Internet killed wrestling. Put it that way, for sure. Internet <laughs> definitely killed wrestling. So, so this one is for, for both. Um, we'll start with uh, with Nikita. Um, Evan Ginsberg, who's a, a great friend of the show and has appeared with uh, Nikita actually several times to do a couple of de- excellent debates. Uh, he 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 made the uh, comment that his dad was a uh, New York City cab driver and that only three people would would actually by their mere presence stop traffic and then one was Muhammad Ali who of course was probably the most recognizable person in the world at that uh, uh, at that time and then the other one which kind of surprised me was Julie Newmar Catwoman <laughs> who uh, had the body that wouldn't quit but the third was superstar Billy Graham and I. I just wanted, you know, at, at, like maybe from a fan perspective, what you thought. And again, we'll start with uh, we'll start with Nikita. That you know, how much of a larger than life figure this guy was. I tell you what, when he would walk to the ring, and back in those days, even Madison Square Garden didn't have guardrails until like around '76. You could walk to the ring with these guys, and superstar would just flex, and you could, even though he's a heel, it's like. Wow, look at this guy's arm. It's incredible. And you would feel it as like, geez, it's unbelievable. How the hell's Bruno or Chief gonna beat this guy? And he was cool. Though his outfits just colorful. And putting him with Ernie the Wizard was genius because even though I think in the beginning Superstar didn't like it because he doesn't need anybody to speak for him, but it worked. Just let them go together, you know, because the they would play off of each other. They started to get a good rhythm between each other, which was good because both could talk. So it was like Superstar was just that. He had a presence. I've said it before. I You can't make any of us love or hate somebody. We either are going to or we're going to say, who gives a shit? Turn it off. Let's go get a pizza. It's done. Or you sit there and you go, that son of a bitch. And you wait for him and you throw stuff at their car and you flatten their tires. That's it. That's It either happens or it doesn't. Yeah, and, you know, with Billy, he had a he had a different kind of a charisma, and one of the things too was his voice, the that that um that California hippie oh, yeah. that he used, and you know, people I was just imitating Ali. Now he had something a little bit different. There was just a tone. He would open his mouth, and you would just want to listen. And when I knew Billy personally, it's just you know he would just just talk and you would turn and you would look out just like Ernie Ladd was the same way you know mm. your team in the back he would just had a voice he had a certain way of talking and it's not like Ernie of course you're, you're scared to death of but with the way that they talked you wanted to listen to him because it just had a different way to speak and just a, and with Billy especially it was just a cool jive way of talking and he was, he was, uh, he could definitely stop traffic. And I don't think that that was an exaggeration what Mr. Gelsenberg said. Well, you hit it out of the park. Cause I tell you what, I think Ernie Ladd has given the greatest hall of fame speech when he inducted Bruno or Bobo, when he inducted Bobo. Bobo. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And, uh, but it, it loses because it, that was back in the early days before it was a big fanfare situation. But it was a nice, very true down-to-earth speech. And it's lost in the shuffle, again, like everything else, because they want you to forget Ernie Ladd, even. And it's like yeah. bastards. <laughs> I can't help it. I hate the son of a bitches for what they do to the guys. Like you said earlier, they gave their lives. They gave their physical being, Superstar being one of the main ones. I mean, he realized some of the mistakes he made, but at the time, it seemed like a good idea, and it looked great. He did come out later and say it's not a good idea to be doing this, going to different colleges and speaking to different young athletes and say, don't juice up. It's it's a quick fix, but it's not going to work for you. You got to have the body to go with it anyway. It's like you can't just take some string bean and say, here, go do it. The juice isn't going to work like that for you. Right. Somebody like him. It was great. It was a perfect situation. I'm sorry what happened to him over the years. I mean, besides, you know, losing him recently, he had a hard way to go for about 20 years, I think. Yeah. He was really suffering. It it was horrible. But he did it for wrestling. You got to remember that. It was for the business. Well, uh, well, I know you had a, a personal and working relationship with Billy Graham. You followed him during his bodybuilding career. You mentioned earlier, uh, you know, get, seeing him in the muscle magazines, uh, into professional wrestling. You actually got to work with him. Uh, I'm sure if you wouldn't mind expanding on some of that, our listeners would love to hear about your experiences uh, working with him and around him. Sure, absolutely. Um, the first time I actually met Billy physically was at the um, Carriage House Nautilus in Peabody, Massachusetts, when he, that night he was going to be wrestling Bruno at the Boston Garden, and my friend and I were going, and we're working out. The carriage house gym was very small. All they had was models, machines, and you know, and barbells and dumbbells. Very pre, prehistoric. All of a sudden, somebody came in and goes, "He just pulled up," and we were running out, and Billy was getting out of a pink Cadillac, <laughs> and he came in and he worked out, and um, he was the 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 nicest man. He was just fantastic i was like you know 15 16 years old he um was doing tricep press downs and asked me if i wanted to work in with him wow. uh, he was just phenomenal and then years later um a guy named um musky started an nwa office in springfield massachusetts and uh bob Backlund was the uh, was the book of this around 1983 and um him and billy were the two guys who was on top and we were there i was part of the o'reilly brothers and we were the tag team champions and so Billy was on the card every every month in Springfield along with me, and then he, we'd be on spot shows together. But Billy was phenomenal. You just walk by, he'd have a little you know dressing room off to himself, and he would always call out to you, ask you to come in. And he was as nice to kids that had never been in the ring before as he was to Carlos Colon or to Backlund. He was just just absolutely wonderful. He um, had a nickname for everybody. He called me the little brother, and. Uh, he was um, he was phenomenal. Um, I never wrestled him in a one-on-one match, but we had a bunch of lumber. There was one particular match with um, Carlos Colon. It was going to be a lumberjack match, and it was going to be heavy juice because Carlos was in the match. And so <laughs> I had this T-shirt, a Raleigh Brothers T-shirt that I always, you know, wore. And so we went out to the ring during the during the match, and I said something to Billy, fooling around, and said, "Billy, don't mess with my T-shirt. Just you know, fooling around." So during the match, at one point, he reaches through the ropes, pulls the T-shirt over my head. Then he starts beating Carlos with it, who's juice and, you know, strangling him with a ton of blood all over it. 
Then he throws it back at me. He said, take a, take your T-shirt back, little brother. It was great. Um, and, you know, he um, he ribbed me pretty good with Hans Schmidt. Do you guys remember Hans? Yes. I heard him, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. well, Hans was in his 50s at this time, and myself and my partner were the tag team champions up around, up in Montreal for Lozon. And Hans was going to be turning heel on us at the next TV taping. And I found out about it in the dressing room. My, my partner walked up and said, hey, you know, they're turning Hans on us. And so I kind of like looked at Billy and looked at and my partner and shook my head. And Hans is, and Billy said, you know, well, he goes, you know, what's the matter? And I said, I go, God, how am I going to work, work with Hans Schmidt? And he said, you got to make him respect you. The first thing you do when you get in the ring with Hans is you leg dive him. And I'm like, really? That Really? He goes, yeah. He goes, you get him in the ropes, you lay it on, lay it in on him, daddy. You got to make him respect you. And I believe it. And so sure enough, the first time I'm working with, with Hans, we're working around the ring. I went to leg dive him, but I didn't, I wasn't trying to take him, but he kind of looked at me funny. And then we went in the ropes and he hit me once and I hit him back stiff. And he looked at me again and I apologized on the spot. And so we worked through the match. I knew that I was a victim of a rip. Later on, he walks up to me in the dressing room and said, you know, what's going on? I told him, I said, this is what Billy Graham told me to do. He said, oh, it's okay. It's no rip. We used to tell kids that Luthes like to be slapped. And so, ha ha. We're in a battle royal later on in the night. And we're working, we're working. And there was a um, guy, Del Skinner, who was Mr. Canada, who was a big, he was like Roy Calder, just a big muscle guy. Comes up behind me, puts me in a full Nelson. And Hans walks over, spits in both his hands, goes like this. And he hit me with a chop that was so freaking hard that I had a heart attack when I was 98. I still swear it was residuals from that slap that Hans gave me. And he said, he gave me one. He said, that's for thinking about leg diving me. And he gave me a second one. He goes, and bring that to superstar Billy for me. <laughs> so when I went to um, Springfield later on, I had a word with Billy about it. And he, he thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> So, Bill, quick Bill, follow-up Bill. question. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, good, brother. I'm good. I'm fine. Well, I listened to an interview that that Billy had done maybe about uh, ten years ago, and he was it, was not much of a partier as far as you know going out with the boys. I mean, he kind of it almost sounded like he was a loner. So I wanted to verify that, and I, I but I also heard that he was very accessible to the fans, which nowadays is unheard of. If you want to. Want to get Seth Rollins' autograph? You got to wait in line and pay two hundred bucks. But if you caught Billy outside the garden, I'm sure he was more than happy to sign for you. Oh, Billy would absolutely sign for everybody. And um, you know, one of my favorite stories. And you know, talking about being alone, he never came out with us ever, ever, ever after the matches. Um, he would always just all of a sudden just disappear in the night. And one night after a Springfield show, one of my friends, um, all my friends used to come to see his work at Springfield, and they all knew Billy. And um, Billy knew them by first name, was always very nice to him. And so one night we walk out and my friend's van had gotten broken into. And so we're standing there just seeing, you know, what had been stolen. And out of nowhere, Billy comes walking up the street. He's wearing one of those big army jackets with a hood. And we're like looking at him. We didn't realize it was him until he's right on top of us because it's so late at night. And, um, you know, he says to me, he goes, what happened, little brother? And I go, oh, I go, um, my friend's van got, got broken into and he turns and looks at my friend and goes, oh, sorry about your van, man. And just the cool way he said it. And he walked away. And that's the, always, that was the last time I ever saw Billy. Uh, yeah, I went back with him back a few times on Facebook. But um, I never saw him again after that. But Billy was very accessible to everybody, very friendly. 
and I never heard any of the boys ever say a bad word about him. Never saw him being crossed to fans. Um, he was he was a treasure. He really was. He gave things away. Like one night in Baltimore, it was a a leather cap that one of the writers for the local program said he estimated it to be about seventy five bucks. He just threw it out to the crowd. You know, just took it off his own head and flinged it out to the crowd. And he's a heel, but he gave to the people. He would throw T-shirts, the whole routine. He he was cool. He, yeah. uh, describe him would be he was cool. Definitely. So, and and the, so the other thing you keep bringing up, not bringing up, Benny, but we discussed on the show with Evan Ginsburg about what he, if he could have turned him face, it's like, yeah, they probably could have. They just didn't do that back then. It's like. It's good's got to win. Good must defeat evil. So it's like there's no way they're going to say somebody that stole the belt from Bruno is going to be trusted by the fans. The old timers just couldn't get that in their head. And there's no way they were going to touch it. And it's funny with Bill. And the thing was, and it was one of the things that made him so marketable was he was a heel. You wanted to hate him, but damn it, you liked him at the same time. And, you know, yep. Jimmy Stunkel was the same way, too. It was like, you know, many years later to where he was a heel. You wanted to hate him, but there was such some kind of magnetism to him that you that you wanted to like him. And there's very few, quote, I guess, you know, on a different scale, Terry Funk was kind of like that, too. He was, you know, a goofy heel, but you respected, I guess, just because they respected him so much. The fans still wanted to like him. But um, Billy had that more than any other guy I ever saw. So he the next question charisma. Yeah, yeah, he had the charisma. Absolutely. And when the people, you know, well, you said it best that you didn't know whether to cheer or the boo him, even though he'd be wrestling Putsky or the Chief or somebody like Tony Gurria, and it's like, or when he'd be back with Bruno, trying Bruno trying to get the belt, that was a different ball game, right yeah. then and there. He was hated, Bing, because Bruno's Bruno, and that was it. But. Yeah, against the others, it was kind of split right down the middle. People didn't know which way to go with him. Well, like that Strongwell match, you know, when we were there that when I was there that night, it's like the fans were popping, popping for Billy, and that was against Strongwell. And outside of Bruno, he Strongwell was arguably the number two baby he face was in the for a long time. Yeah, yes, easily in Boston too. He was big up there, Absolutely. Massachusetts area. I, I think because uh, there was a. A tribe, the Micmac tribe up there uh, somewhere in Massachusetts, they gave him that beautiful yellow full headdress. And Chief always treasured that. So it's, yeah, he was a big, big name too. And there was a little heat between the two of them because Superstar said, I got Strongbow in the twilight of his career. And Chief got pissed because he thought it made him seem old. And it's like, well, it's just heat. He's trying to get heat, Chief. That's it. But that was their own heat, and then they get the real heat. So it, it uh, did to get heat with the chief. I know that for a fact. Yeah, how <laughs> did everybody? Uh, well, look, chief was my buddy for a long time, and uh, you know he was like sandpaper. You had to know how to apply things with him. If you didn't, <laughs> you were going to get uh, scratched pretty good. On a side note, sometime Nikita and boys, I'll tell you um, a funny story about. Um, I, when I got inducted to the uh, New England Hall of Fame, the chief went in at the same time, and he had a he had a, he said something to my son that was like one of the night. Well, actually, do you want to hear the story now? Only be two seconds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go for it. So the, the chief and Kilkowski didn't get along, and I was on a show um, 
for the WWF for an opening match. I was five minutes late getting in the dress room and I got fired right out of the gate. And then I was on a second show when he got angry with me because I worked too stiff and I got fired another time. So didn't see the chief for years. So when we went into the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, my son Timmy was like nine or 10 years old. And so I see the chief and it's like, oh, I got to go home and say hi to him. So I walked over with my son for protection. And um, I said, hi, chief. How are you? I go, Sean O'Reilly. I worked for you many years ago. And he goes, oh, Riley, how are you, son? And he shakes my hand. Then he looks at my son, son Timmy, and goes, and who is this young man? And I said, oh, that's my son. The chief kneels down to my son's height and goes, I just want to tell you, your son, your father was a great athlete. And if he had a little bit more size, he would have been the world's champion. Don't you wow. ever doubt what a great athlete your father was and what a great person your father is. And my son's, oh, okay. And, you know, finally, Timmy walks away. And I look at the chief. I go, wow, chief, thank you very much. And he looks at me, he goes, I still think, he goes, I wish for the kid. I still think you're a fresh little prick and I'd fire you again if I could. He walked away. Nice. <laughs> and at the time I'm thinking, God, I'm, I'm what, 47 years old and somebody's calling me a fresh little prick. <laughs> and the key to knowing the chief, I'm sure you can, uh, you can picture that very well. I've seen that because the Fink was there. He inducted chief, right? Oh, you were there? No, Howard Finkel was there. Okay, yeah. I've yeah. seen it on YouTube because the, he named uh, Doherty the Duke of Dorchester because he yeah. came late when Chief was, he's like, well, we're waiting for the Duke of Dorchester. Here he is. And it was like, that stuck. But you know how goofy Pete Doherty was. And it was like, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> the Golden Terror. Mm. Yeah. yeah. All right, we're getting off track. I'll shut up. I'll shut <laughs> up. Well, I, I'm curious. Uh, kind of expand on something you, you talked about you both touched on on how giving billy graham was and you know given not just to the crowd but but his willingness to to his pot you know some of the guys in the back and the business as a whole uh in doing some research for the show and, and benny and i were talking about it before he had a run in in the late 80s where he, I don't want to. I, I I never want to criticize. Uh, sound like it's I'm criticizing him, but to go from champion to a house show feud with Butch Reed or the uh, one of three or four guys in a tag match with uh, Hercules and uh, you know King Kong Bundy after after he was already on his way uh, on his way down the card, he was there to fill the gap, but still. Uh, from everything I've seen, his his uh, Madison Square Garden show, like I said, his his tour with uh, <clears throat> excuse me with Butch Reed. Like, he, he, do you have any insight on on how willing? Because a lot of guys in his position would never have taken that spot to to help elevate the rest of the business and the rest of the card, even though they they knew they were long past their their main event light. Was that ever a problem for him, or was he oh, was he just the consummate professional like some of the others were at the time? Do you want to take it, Nikita? Yeah, yeah, because I don't know a thing about that. After '83, Will, I'm lost. Or '84. Go ahead. Yeah, I think what what happened was by the time he went to um to Crockett and was making his run down there, I don't think they really knew how to use Billy at that point. And um, in all honesty, I think Billy unfortunately lost a lot of his magic after um. He dropped the belt to back when he was just a different guy. And then, you know, when they brought him in the second time and he went into the, you know, he came in with a shaved head and the, the karate gimmick. I, I think I think Billy just changed. I don't think um, Billy did not have the kind of ego to where he'd have a hard time 
you know, going down the card and, and starting to put uh, put guys over. Well, not put guys over literally, but build guys up and do a um, little bit of carpentry, you know, to build build people. Billy wouldn't have a hard time doing that. You know, Bill, Billy was very was very giving in that way. Um, but I think that after, you know, by the Crockett years, they didn't know how to use them. And he, I think that um, they just didn't want to take a take a chance on building them up too much. You know, he had a great run down in Florida with Kevin Sullivan. And I uh, did well down there, but I think that people just didn't know how to use them anymore. Well, you know, after he dropped the belt to Backlund, towards the end of 78, he started the no-show. His last match was with Andre, I think up in uh, New Hampshire. It was uh, Thanksgiving night, it was, believe it or not, 1978. And that was it. He disappeared. He blew a, a show for Baltimore on the 25th. And something coming up for the spectrum and the guard. So he lost a lot of paydays, but he just kind of disappeared. But before he did that, they were doing a promo. He was going to be wrestling Ivan Putsky. And with uh, this was for October of 78, October 21st. So they're doing the promos and he looks at Vince and he says, and your father your father promised me if I beat Ivan Putsky, I'll have the next match with Bobby Backlund. And Vince looked like he just gave his credit card number away. That's like, and then he's, and Vince Correa, he's like, you know, the promoter, Phil Zacco fans, he makes the decisions. Nobody's there. No, quoting your dad and quit kicking me. It ain't time to leave you. Cause Vince would give you the little <laughs> kick to beat. It's like, Vince was like, I don't want to help. But I think superstar already figured he's making his exit. So, he was giving it to him good before he left. <laughs> I never heard that. I have a tape of that. That was great. I loved it. He, he, of course, his promos are legendary, but that was good. He laid it out there. So, so the next question, I think it could take up the, the rest of the show. Uh, April 30th, 1977 in Baltimore, uh, Billy Graham defeats Bruno San Martino, becomes a new WWF champion, takes on all co comers, at the Garden, pretty much sells it out every time, I think, except for one. And um, so, Nikita, we had the you know the debate with you and Evan as far as and what you just mentioned about you know should they have turned him babyface? But so here's it's a two part question. I'll start with Nikita and then finish with Will. First part is as a fan, and I know uh, Nikita, you, you you've given us this before, but definitely worth hearing again. What was your reaction when Billy Graham defeated San Martino? And then number two, maybe. Um, not if they turned him babyface, but do you think maybe you know, he the guy was on fire? He's selling out everywhere. Do you think that maybe uh, they could have extended his run just a little bit, even as a heel, because he was doing so well? Now I came. I was in Baltimore at the time. Will this is how I am speaking from the heart. We were angry because we got the black eye. That's where Bruno loses the belt to this guy. He's got the feet on the ropes. And I, I mentioned that the, the referee, Jack Davis, beat him down the aisle, running away, because he knew we were going to kill him as well as Superstar for stealing the belt from Bruno. But we, we kind of settled down because we thought, they'll take the belt back. There, there's no way this will stand. But see, it was smart, because Maryland has a rule that once an official, and they are all licensed referees, renders a decision, it cannot be overturned, even in court. So WWWF were smart. It's like, hey, Bruno saves face, 
Wealth is stolen from him. And it shows Madison Square Garden is not the only place the title can change hands. So, but for us, we still hated him because it made us look like shit because we lost the belt in Baltimore or <laughs> Bruno. It was Bruno's belt. So for that reason, we were angry. But, you know, after a while, it, it, could he have gone longer? No. They were running out of challengers. That was the problem to keep him as a heel champion. Dino Bravo, eh, he wasn't really catching on. Dusty had his run, Chief had his run, and everybody else, Bruno had his run. Correct, the only yeah. place Bruno didn't get a run was in Pittsburgh with him. I'm surprised at that. I, I don't understand the thinking. Dominic, that's the only place Dominic really did was Pittsburgh. But, you know, they were running out of contenders, and that was it. The, the old man had made his mind up. This is when the changes are going to occur. But listen. The bottom line with all this thing about Backlund, they had to pad the card. They had to do this. If Backlund didn't draw, well, he'd been out the door, right? Promises or no promise. Yeah. Whether it was made to somebody's mother on a deathbed. If he ain't drawn for the bean counter, they'll shoot him out of a cannon the next day he's gone. <laughs> That's it. You draw or you draw the door, you're out. Yeah, and, and you know... But, I'm not. I was never the biggest fan of Bob Backlund, but I will say Bob did do a good job as a WWF champion. Um, you know, he brought in the NWA style of working for a champion, and um, it, I learned to appreciate him a little bit more with uh, with age. But um, you know, with Billy, it's like you know, Nikita's correct. There wasn't a, a glut of baby faces at the time to bring him in, but I think that uh, he could have held it on a little bit longer because I think he could have gone up against other heels and done really well. Um, you know, I guess I guess we'll never know. I think he could have held on to it a little bit longer, but I don't think he was a you know a four year champion or anything like that. And Billy um, is in the ring work. He's you know he certainly you know was no Jack Briscoe as far as his work goes. Um, I think that he was. I, I don't think his shelf life would have been would have been the greatest as champion. He could have held on to it a little bit long, longer, but I think you know I think Senior made the right choice at the time. Somebody threw something out there for a while when they teamed him up with Grady Johnson, Brother Luke. And that was kind of neat, but it didn't last. It did not even, it didn't even get shoes on the grow legs. It was just, it was a flash in the pan. But I like that team. I thought they had some room to run, but it was then more, they start pushing him back with Dusty, which was always a sellout. And then, you know, still chasing Backlund. So the, Crazy Luke superstar team just never took off. Golden Grams. <laughs> yeah, the Golden Grams. That was great. I I really loved them. I did. I hated the Lumberjacks. I thought they stank, but the Golden Grams could have done something. Yeah. Yeah. Pierre and uh, Scott Hogg Irwin, who I worked with many times years later, one of the Lumberjacks. But um and Le- and LaBeouf. Yeah, they were they, you know, they were there. They didn't even bring the belts half of the time. It's like, what the hell is this shit? Yeah, that was, was a transition area. <laughs> I guess. It was weird. Go well, ahead, Dan. Ask, What's next? Well, I was going to say, let me ask you guys. Um, obviously, I know we talked a lot about the, the ground, you know, how just kind of the, for lack of a better term, how groundbreaking he was. So it's kind of a, a thought on that. Was he... When you mentioned how he was never going to be AWA, he was never going to going to be NWA champion. Was he ahead of his time? I mean, if he was a bit 
uh, if he was a bit younger or had come along a bit later, could he have carried the ball like Hulk Hogan did? I mean, obviously, uh, you can't you don't have Hulkamania as we know it without the inspirations of Billy Graham. Uh, so kind of a two part there. Could he have been the guy had he come around later as he was? And the second part to that to kind of expand on. Do you think Billy Graham as he was would work today or is that it was was he perfect for the time that he was in? Go ahead, Will. Um, I, if, if Billy had been promoted like Hulk Hogan during the cartoon era, I think he would have been absolutely as big as Hogan, if not bigger. Because I personally, I think Billy was better on the shtick. And I, I would rather have listened to Billy than, um, than Hulk. And like with me, it's, of course, I have the warm spot, spot for Billy. And I'm not a big Hulk Hogan fan. But I think that Billy could have absolutely carried the ball every bit as good as Hogan. You know, you can, I guess you can't say better because Hogan just hit it you know, into the, into the stratosphere. But, um, I think Billy would have been fantastic. Billy was way ahead of his time. And, um, you know, so many other wrestlers through the years copied him. Um, and not intentionally, I think that there was a little bit of Billy Graham and a lot of us, um, uh, Billy, Billy absolutely could have carried it just like Hogan. Unfortunately, I think he was ahead of his time, like you said. And today with the anti-hero, like when Stone Cold was on top. So sure, Superstar would have been it. He he certainly would have done every bit, if not 10 times more than what Goofy Hogan did. No question. And I would say be more believable than Hogan. Problem with Hogan, he was too strong. Because Nikolai used to tell me, he said, you know, uh, the people start feel sorry for the heels. Because Hogan crush everybody. It's no, you know, nobody like it. It's like, yeah. At least Superstar would sell for them. He'd come out on top, but he would, he'd give, you know, he'd sell. Hogan, it was just like same old shit. He was just, he had the whole machine behind him. And, you know, they all want to credit Cindy Lauper, but it was Cal Rudman from Philadelphia who had the real MTV connection. He was locked into the music industry because cal used to do the color on the prism network along with dick graham no relation to superstar duke dick graham did the play-by-play and cal rudman the color because he was good friends with vince and that's where we got all this other it was more that's when it became entertainment and then that was the end of it now it's a circus sideshow acrobatic show they, they don't even know how to spell the word sell. They don't understand it. So I'm, I'm going to ask you guys to play uh, amateur psychologist here for a bit. And I'll start with with Will. Um, when I mean, obviously, when 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 Graham got the belt, you know, Vince told him the exact date he was going to win it, and the exact date he was going to lose it. But I, I, and this is just my opinion. I don't think he was ever the same once he dropped that belt. And I, I'm, you know, I kind of would like to know your perspective of if you agree with me why that is i mean my my perception is to him that was as good as it was ever going to get and it was never going to be anywhere near as good as that ever again and you know the fact that he did i mean it wasn't like he did a mediocre job when he was a champion he did a phenomenal job as a champion and uh, i used the example last time when when uh, uh nikita and, and evan were debating that you know you, you get hired as a temp we're going to hire you for a 10 month assignment. And my, you know, in my mental set would be, okay, yeah, you're saying that now, but I'm going to do such a good job. You're never going to want to get rid of me. And I think Billy Graham did that job. 
but yet they still, you know, they, they Vince kept his word to Backlund. Um, so I, I think as far as his career went, yeah, he did have the run in Florida with uh, Kevin Sullivan. He was never the same after that. And I mean, I think psychologically and, you know, and even in, in his wrestling career, I just wanted to know what if, if you think I'm on the right track with that. Yeah, I, I absolutely, absolutely agree. By the time I met Billy personally, you know, it was funny. Him and Backlund were wrestling in the Springfield Civic Center, drawing 300 people. When a few years before that, they were selling out Madison Square Garden. Um, Billy, as congenial as he was with the camaraderie, there was just an, an air of sadness about him. And, you know, maybe he had issues with depression before he was the champion. But, you know, he hit, you know, the, hit it in the stratosphere to where he couldn't walk down he couldn't go to New York and walk down the street without getting mobbed to go from that to, you know, to drop in the belt and just becoming another one of the boys. It had to have been devastating to him. I can't even imagine, you know, it'd be like being, you know, in Hollywood and being the top drawer and being the top of a, uh, of a $50 million movie. Then six months later, you know, doing featured, featured extra work, you know, it was a, it was a steep drop of Billy. And, um, you know, they asked him to do a job, and he did it, and he did it better than anybody could have ever imagined. You know, I'm sure that even Vince Sr. didn't think that Billy was going to do as well as he did as champion. Um, you know, it, it just has been very, very, very tough. But the night, night that McCann told him, you know, we're going to go through with him. Bob, you're dropping the belt to Bob. What do you Ride. think, Nikita? Pride, without a doubt, is there. You know, I'm reading Superstore's book. I just told my wife, Victoria is her name. I just told my wife the other day, reading, it, it stuck with me in his book. He said, you know, I, I flushed a blade down the toilet. I thanked Bruno. And he said, I got the hell out of there. I just kind of patched my head up. I needed stitches, but I didn't have time because I didn't want the lynch mob to get me. And so he said, I hailed a cab. And he said, I could smell the cherry blossoms because it was, you know, middle of spring and he said, you know, I just took a taxi to the hotel, called my wife, and it's like, man, that stuck with me. There was a guy that got it. He knew he was on top of the world, and it meant a lot to him. So it had to be just as devastating when they took it away. And it's like, just like you're saying, I'm doing a hell of a job. You hired me as a temp, but how in the hell can you stop me now? But they did. And I don't care who you are. You're a human being. It's going to take some of your heart away. It's got to. And it certainly did with him. And I think when he came back in 82, that look was a up your ass right back to them. <laughs> but it, it hurt him more than it did them, you know, because they're like, whatever, then we'll push you aside. Because, you know, I don't think he got a title match in Boston in 82. There were a lot of places where he didn't but with Backlund. He, he ran at the Garden three times. Baltimore, they had him. And uh, not Philadelphia. He didn't get at the Spectrum in 82. So it's like, you don't hurt these guys. We get pissed off. We figure, well, screw you. We're going to quit. And it's like, I'll hold the door for you. See you next time. I'll fill your shoes with somebody else. So, but it's hard when you live. And at, being entertainers like we are, Will, and everybody we've known through the years, both acting and wrestling, it's your pride is there. And when somebody just hit you like they did him you're gonna feel it and it's just gonna come out that's it you can talk you can lie you can say a lot of things you, you know you can grit your teeth and speak through your teeth but it's there it's in your heart it's hard it hurts 
So was there any truth to the rumor that uh, I guess Billy wrestled Bruno in the in the in a cage match in Philadelphia a few days before he he uh, lost the uh, the title of Backlund and that he told Bruno that he wanted to swerve Vince and have Bruno go over in the match. It, it, was that just Billy talking out loud, or do you think that Billy would have actually went through with that? The only two people that can answer it, and uh, I, <laughs> Bruno would never do it. I mean, uh, there's just no way because he wasn't done with them yet, and uh, it's like, no, 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 you, you, you cut your own throat. There's no way that you're gonna ever do it. You go in the business for yourself like that. I think Superstar was angry, and the way the story goes with the. Because Bruno said, well, protect yourself, you know, make it look like you got the legit knee injury so you can sell that in the garden Monday night. And even Monsoon was a little suspicious when he showed up Monday night and he's like, oh, yeah, I hurt my knee in the cage with Bruno. So they wrapped him up real good. So then the old man's like, well, Bobby, you go for the knee and, you know, make it look good. But it's like uh, you can't stop this train, man. It ain't going to work. It's already in motion. It's going to happen. But that night, February the 18th of 78, it's been verified that they turned away about 10,000 people. They had a packed house. It was just, that was the third match between them. And it was really spread out. Well, it was crazy the way that worked. September 17th, the first one. Then they were dark until December the 10th for whatever reason. They just didn't have wrestling at the Spectrum for those months. And then they didn't come back till February 18th. And it was like people were just going crazy. They loved the match so much. Each one of them were with each match topped the other and even the cage match. That's where the snooka, the Morocco finish came in. Superstar and Bruno did it first. Mm. But he accidentally knocked him through the door. I'll tell you, too, with, with Billy's work, I really thought his best matches were definitely against Bruno. Um, oh, all the time. Sure, just, sure. Because like him and Dusty Rhodes, the promos were phenomenal. They did great box office. But I thought their matches were okay. But his matches with Bruno just brought down the house. To me, they were a lot more exciting. Absolutely. Well, I agree 100%. And nobody, like left, every- their, nobody left their feet. There were no dives, no, you know, no being powerbombed through a flaming table. <laughs> no ladder, no, no paintbrush, nothing like that. Just good old-fashioned, hardcore, two strong men lock-up wrestling, and you'd have some blood, and a lot of it at times, but it, it meant something. It it fit. It made sense. It was but good. But even when they, when they locked up for the test of strength, and which might have lasted, what, two or three minutes, the crowd was, like, on their feet, into it, for the whole time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Two believable supermen, yes. And you could, you could buy into it. And, you know, it goes to, like, we were talking earlier about Billy's voice. You know, Billy would be have Bruno down in the test of strength, and you'd hear him yelling and taunting. And it just, it, you know, there would be 22,000 people in the arena, and you would still hear Billy talking and yelling, and you'd hear that hippie voice. And then when Bruno started making his comeback, hearing Billy screaming. And, you know, outside, of, along with Killer Khan, I can't remember two people that they would yell in the ring and would, like, turn you you know, it would turn your head. It would really be a part of the match. <laughs> Even Ginsburg you know, just posted a story about Killer Khan last night. On he, it was tailed onto one of my uh, posts that I do every day, like a this day in history thing. And uh, yeah, I loved Khan. 
And he could, when he would scream, it would make your hair stand up on the back of your neck. It's like, son of a bitch. I'm glad he ain't screaming at me because I'd be heading down the road. <laughs> you know, we, we talked a lot, um, career impact, uh, and we did touch a bit, like you said, about him being ahead of his time and where he would fit in, in the narrative. One of the things that wasn't really prevalent at how during the, the, Billy Graham Bruno era was merchandise, especially not the way it is now with, you know, a B list. Uh, I mean, somebody posted, uh, I'm trying to remember the numbers off the top of my head. The, 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 the Miz, they, they were posting. He's the first person to lose 1300 tracked matches. You know, that all the stat sites and everything that have been tracking it. He's and, 0 and 18 this year. Yeah, he, he still has T-shirts. And so, I mean, and that's not nothing against him. I'm saying everybody's got merchandise. So And a $2 million guarantee, freaking T, yeah. Ain't that the he, truth. So, listen, I, heard, I hear a beep. Somebody's trying to get me for the next show. I got to do a powder on you guys. Nikita, okay. Nice to meet you, buddy. Absolutely. You thanks too, thanks, thanks, thanks a lot for your time. That's great. All right, guys. I loved it as always. We'll do more. Yeah, you know, thank you. absolutely. Thank you for, uh, but I did get booked. On the show. But I jumped in with you guys. I had to. You, you're my favorite. You know that. Thank you. <laughs> we appreciate it. Yeah, Peter Brezhkov, everyone. All right. God bless. Take care. Jeez, I thought well, I knew a little bit about Russell, and I don't know one tenth of it. You know, know. I was okay. going to say something like this guy's quoting dates, and I, when I wake up, I have to look at my driver's license to even know who the <laughs> hell I am. Like, <laughs> By, by trade for 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 what we do when Benny and I met we were both uh, historians and and stat buffs and and we've both written about the business and even doing the podcast for a couple of years now and the articles and the history and the research Nikita forgets more before lunch about wrestling than I'll know in my lifetime it's it's crazy yeah he definitely uh He's definitely a source of information. But to, uh, I guess to kind of wrap up as, as we get to the end of the show, I know we had to start a little late. This is why he had to, as I love how he used the powder out. So good, good little <laughs> wrestling kayfabe, uh, throw in there. Um, I wonder if he'll tell the other people that they're his favorites <laughs> as well. Every, every it's, it's like, uh, you ever go see a concert or a comedian, every, every crowd they're in front of is the best one they've had the whole tour. Yeah, ever. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I guess, Will, uh, last question to you then. I, what I was getting at when I said, uh, you know, everybody's got merch. I mentioned The Miz and how everybody has it. Um, there wasn't – that really didn't exist in the peak Billy Graham, Bruno era. If it did or if he was around later in the era when, when the merch really started to pick up, even as a heel, how much Billy Graham merch do you think you would have seen? Would he have been the guy for selling like today where the he, you know, your Austin, your, your NWO, your Roman Reigns, where the villains are the ones selling more merchandise. Would that have been, would that have been Billy Graham? Would, would he, you have seen all the rainbow and the headbands and the muscle shirts in the crowd? Yeah. I still wear a tie dye occasionally just an honor Billy Graham. If, um, if Billy had been in the Monday area, he would have eclipsed anybody as far as merchandise sales. Um, and the thing is, too, is, again, you know, he was a heel. But to me, he was kind of a tween. 
because he they could have brought heels in to work with Billy. And I think it would have been just as successful. I think him and Ken Patera could have sold out Masters Square Garden going against each other. I think he, him and Koloff could have done could done business together. I think Billy was so marketable. And with his personality, I think he could have gone back-to-back months. He could have wrestled Mill Mascaris in um, November. Then he could have wrestled Ken Patera in December and um, could do good, great box office either way. So I think his merchandise, it would go... It would go both ways for heels and baby faces. And, you know, as the the heels and baby faces decided to kind of they would decide to turn into a gray area. I think um, Billy still would have done very, very well with any with anyone. Well, I, I mean, we look now at back at the impact he's had. Here we are. How many years later? Uh, you know, more than 40 since the era we're talking about. And it's still huge fan base. People still talk about him. You saw the reaction he had. Uh, I posted a picture on the Dan and Benny page of um, uh, him doing an arm wrestling exhibition against Andre the Giant. And as of Saturday, if I have my date correctly, it is the most um, active post in the history of our Facebook page. Uh, So just the reaction he still gets today, Uh, even that one. Uh, I don't know what I can legally criticize people on, but even that one troll who felt the need to chime in just to call wrestling fake, you know, so screw him. But uh, <laughs> even uh, uh, I mean, just to see the reaction today. So so Benny, final thought to you. I mean, uh, it, like I said at the top of the hour, we do too many of these today, these memorial shows. But final thought to you, uh, career, life, superstar Billy Graham. Well, two thoughts, and going back to the Miz real quick. Uh, I don't know, Will. Do you remember uh, Chuck Richards? I do. Or, uh, Carteret, Carteret, New Jersey, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I was going to say that you know, in 2023, you can go away, 0 and 18 and uh, earn a salary of two million dollars as the Miz. In in 1968, if you were 0 and 18, you were you were Chuck Richards, <laughs> right? And and that was my first thought. My second thought is, you know, obviously Billy Graham was way ahead of his time larger than life and if he was if there was merch i I have this vision of twenty three thousand people in madison square garden with tie-dyed t-shirts how awesome would that have been absolutely and you know i want to go back to something i said earlier too is the thing that i loved about billy is i've had more jobs than the three stooges billy was just a great co-worker and you know the thing is like you know if you met if you met bruno Bruno was a, was a gentleman, was very, very friendly, but he was Bruno. When you met Danny Hodge, Danny Hodge was a gentleman, but he was Danny Hodge. You'd meet Billy, and he was just, he was so friendly and so nice in a different way that he was a pal. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like you would never say, you know, someone like me would walk in the dressing room and say, oh, yeah, I'm pals with Bruno. But I could say I was pals with Billy Graham. Because it was just, it was just different. They were both every bit as nice, but Billy was just one of the guys and just an amazing coworker. And that's the way I'll always remember him. And I won't even remember him as a WWF champion. I'll remember him as as a friend and just a great coworker. Nice. Well, I can't think of a better way to end that. Will, thank you so much for joining us. Um, any any place uh, I know, uh, Benny talked about your your other opportunity or excuse me, other endeavors outside of wrestling. Uh, any any plugs before we let you go? 
No, actually, I'm working on a um, on a couple short films that I'm producing myself, but they're just in pre-production. So um, when they get when they get off the ground, I'll uh, I'll give you guys a, give you guys a shout and see if I can get a plug from you. Well, yeah, we'll be available for extras if you need them. <laughs> that sounds good, boys. Thank you very very much for having me. As I as I told Bill, uh, Benny earlier, I'm absolutely honored that you asked me to be on your podcast, particularly about Billy. Thank you very very much for making me part okay. of it. We appreciate it. Again, thank you for your time. And uh, absolutely, when, when the time comes, well, you can uh, you can expect a shout-out from us. And Benny is more than willing to play henchman number six. I mean, I normally do adult films, but I'd be, I'd be willing to uh, stretch myself there a little bit. I'll write something in for you. Beard, <laughs> bearded guy at desk. Natural boy deal. <laughs> Thanks again, Well, We appreciate it. So long, boys. Thank you very much. Take care. I will. Like I said, Benny, it seems it seems we do too many of these too quickly. But um, gotta love the career, gotta love the man. Uh, your background says it all. And um, <laughs> I mean, like I said, as a, we've had the page pretty much since day one, and that picture of Andre and Billy Graham, the most uh, uh, active post we've had. So I think it's just it's crazy. I've uh, uh, was talking to some some friends uh, over the weekend and then at work uh, this week. And that's any time. Cause they the guys know me as you know, the, with the podcast, like, Oh, you know, uh, heard about, heard about Billy Graham. They wanted to talk about Billy Graham asked us if we were doing anything. So, I mean, it's crazy to think, like I said, 40 years, more than 40 years since his run with Bruno. And here we are still, he's still a bigger name in in the rent world of discussions than half the talent running around today. He was he was a larger than life figure, and I'm I'm really glad to learn that he was. I mean, yeah, he was Billy Graham, but he was just he was a good guy too. Yeah, yeah. Too too often, you know, something happens, and and you hear the 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 little stories that slip out. We know they'll never have a, a dark side of the ring revelation of Billy Graham. That's for sure. Right. Exactly. A true legacy, true hero. So for Benny Scala, the original Long Island. Iced B. I'm Dan Spasciano. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring. Night, folks.